Welcome to the Funeral Fact Podcast. Our goal is to take the mystery out of funeral customs and traditions for our listeners around the globe. I'm your host, Jeff Casper. Before we get started with today's program, I wanted to welcome our new listeners in the United States, as well as Canada, the United Kingdom, France, Slovakia, and uh, all throughout Europe, and Belgium, Japan, and Australia. We're so glad to have you with us. If you really want to help us rise in the ratings, the best thing you can do for us is to subscribe in iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. And of course, if you like us, please leave a review in iTunes or Google Play. By taking just a few extra moments to leave this feedback, you will help others find out about the Funeral Fact Podcast. Now today, we're going to be exploring Buddhist funeral customs and traditions. We are very, very fortunate to have as our guest the Venerable Thunden. I, I knew I'm, I'm going to screw up your name, and, and I'm going to... It's okay. Thupten Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> this is the newest type of show where we have our guest introduce himself. I'm going to say it right. Thupten <laughs> That children, yes. Children. All right, very good. Uh-huh. And I'll be referring to you for the rest of the interview as venerable. But uh, okay. she grew up in Los Angeles and graduated with a BA in history from the University of California at Los Angeles. Uh, she then took some time and traveled through Europe, North America, North Africa, and Asia for one and a half years. And she received her teaching credential and went to the University of Southern California to do her postgraduate work in education. And it was while working as a teacher in the Los Angeles City School System, she attended a meditation course. And then she subsequently went to Copan, uh, a monastery in Nepal, to continue to study and practice Buddhist teachings. Now, in 1977, she received her novice ordination, and in 1986, she received her full ordination as a Buddhist nun in Taiwan. Uh, Venerable travels worldwide to teach the Dharma, North America, Europe, Latin America, Israel, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia. You've pretty much been everywhere, uh, as well as former uh, communist countries. She sees the importance and the necessity for a monastery for Westerners training in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and she uh, founded the Shravasti Abbey, which is a Buddhist monastic community north of Spokane, Washington in the United States, and she's the abbeyess there. It's the only Tibetan Buddhist training monastery for Western monks and nuns in America. She emphasizes the practical application of Buddha's teaching in our daily lives and is especially skilled at explaining them in ways that are easily understood and practiced by Westerners. She is a prolific author, having published 17 books and edited another 11 in various languages on Buddhist philosophy and meditation. And she's the only nun who's co-authored a book with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, which is Buddhism, One Teacher, Many Traditions. And her latest book is Practical Ethics and Profound Emptiness, and her Buddha for, Buddhism for Beginners and Open Heart, Clear Mind are also widely recommended as introductory books. Welcome! It is so wonderful to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you. So... Uh, I was wondering, first of all, because we have so many folks who may or may not be familiar with 
with Buddhism and the, and the philosophies uh, before we actually get to, to chat about um, uh, the actual customs or traditions. If you could give us kind of a, a quick overview of Buddhisms and the, Buddhism and it, the philosophies that go into it. Mm, okay. Um, the, the basic philosophy uh, stems around that our experience uh, comes principally from our own mind and our own actions. And so it's a very empowering thing because by transforming our attitudes, our emotions, our interpretations, and therefore our actions, then we can change our experience. And so Buddhism emphasizes, as do many religions, um, not harming others and also being of benefit as much as we can. And in particular, the, the uh, way that Buddhism talks about benefiting others is one of what we call exchanging self and others. So uh, trying to train our mind so that with the uh, fervor that we always take care of ourselves and look out for our own happiness, that we can feel that same way about others. And so it's... Uh, involves quite a bit of training the mind. This uh, selfless attitude doesn't come real easily, but it's certainly worthwhile the more we cultivate it. And as His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, um, my religion is kindness. And so that kind of, uh, you know, boils it down to that. Well, I I have to tell you, I, I have had the opportunity to be near uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And when I say near, I mean like probably a hundred yards or more away. And I could feel (laughs) the happiness and the joy. I can't imagine, um, you know, working with him uh, on a book and, you know, I would just be a blubbering, you know, mess. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I just, you know, and and I know it sounds silly, but it, it really, I mean, there was just this, and it, it, there were a number of folks, um, obviously that were were uh, with me, and and you, it, I have never been in a in a place with so much joy and happiness, and and yeah. I mean that's before really any any words were spoken. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that must have been quite an experience for you. Yeah, it 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 is, or it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm still working. I'm working on some more volumes with him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen His Holiness in a number of different situations, and the, how equanimous he is towards everybody. I mean, uh, people that I kind of look at and go, uh, uh, His Holiness just he sees beauty in everyone, and uh, you know, and so that I think is what radiates out from him. You know, what you felt is that uh, that thing of seeing others in beauty, trusting their goodness, seeing their potential, and just stopping the uh, judgmental, critical mind that is really just a bunch of wrong conceptions and opinions. So, you know, you can see when you're near him the result of this mental training uh, in living color. Well, and color is right. I I actually flew in. 
I think ahead of him at San Francisco, I was coming back from a trip and the entire airport was a sea of orange and red. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and even that was a, a, just a really uh, uplifting experience. And I, I, mm-hmm. people say, how could you say that about getting your luggage? And I says, I've never been in a room with so many happy, just, just satisfied. And does that make sense? Yeah. You know, where the, everybody always seems to be looking for something. And there was none of that in the, in the, in the baggage claim area in the airport. I think everybody was just happy. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, nonetheless, um, it, so can you give us an idea of, of what the Buddhist philosophy is on death? Um, and, and how, they take a, or how you take a look at it and, and the Buddhist uh, tradition and 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 um, we'll start from that focus. Okay. Well, first of all, death is just a natural thing that happens. As soon as we're born, then we know we're going to die. So death is not a punishment. It's not uh, an indication of failure. Uh, it's none of those things. It's simply an outcome of having been born to start with. And in our spiritual practice, we actually contemplate our death. And the reason for doing this is uh, not so that we can get depressed, because we can do that all by ourselves. We don't need to meditate, and Buddha doesn't need to teach us how to get depressed. But because the medi- when we contemplate death, it makes us think, what is really important in my life? Given that I'm not going to live to forever, what are my priorities? At the end of my life, what do I want to be able to look back to and rejoice at? And when you really think about this, it helps so much to stop all the petty irritations and quarrels and conflicts that we so much get involved in, because we see at the time of death, these things don't matter. You know, our life is transient. Things are changing moment by moment. So rather than hook on to, you know, small pleasures and selfish wants and needs and so on, to really think what what is important and from a Buddhist perspective, as from a number of other religions, and and I I think also secular people, what people can identify as important in life is uh, not only taming our own mind, but being of benefit and service to others. And so when you contemplate death in that way, then, and you see what's important is, you know, to, to... free yourself from your own anger and jealousy and so on, and to be of service to others, then you have very clear priorities in your life, and it makes your life so much more simple. Yeah, You don't get confused, should I do that or should I do this? Because your interest is no longer in uh, your own self-centered pleasure. So, you know, we use the meditation on death in, in that way, uh, so that it really makes you uh, quite vivid in your life. You're, you're quite alive. You appreciate uh, what you have, and and you can see things much clearer. That, does that make some sense to you? 
Oh, it makes tremendous yeah. sense to me. Um, and you know what? Uh, we are up against a break. Um, wow, that first segment went by too quickly. Uh, yeah. We'll be back. <laughs> we'll uh, continue our discussion. Uh, listeners, don't go away. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Uh, don't forget it. Forget to visit funeralfact.com for information on this show as well as uh, how to uh, get a hold of our guest and uh, give us your feedback and ideas for future shows as well. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes here. Senior Helpers provides essential information, in-home care, and support for seniors living with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, and other disabling diseases. We spoke with renowned occupational therapist, Tipa Snow, about some of the myths surrounding Alzheimer's disease. Some of the myths about dementia and Alzheimer's is that people aren't trying and that maybe we should push them harder. There's a point at which the brain is dying, and so people are doing the best they can in that moment. What we could do is change how we go about it. Another myth is that it's all genetic. Not necessarily, lifestyle matters. How we live our life makes a difference. We also know that not everybody will get it. It's not something that for sure, as you age, you will develop. For more information on Senior Helpers, please visit us online at seniorhelpers.com. Senior Helpers is a member of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. This close. We're this close. We are this close. Of our entity to making history. This close to changing the world. We are this close. This close. This close to making sure no child suffers a crippling disease ever again. This close. We are this close to ending polio. To ending polio. All we need is you. Is you. This close. If we donate now, we may lose this chance forever. Help Rotary make history at endpolionow.org. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of Electrosynth Pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we were... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council.
right, we are back. Um, I, you know, it always amazes me how quickly the uh, uh, break comes up upon us. And, and we had just had a slight discussion about some of the philosophies and the meditations uh, that Buddhists go through when they're are thinking about uh, death and that entire process. And now I, I think the next step would make sense to say, okay, when, when someone who is a Buddhist passes away, um, do you have a funeral or, or what, what type of, of other, uh, ceremonies do you have to usher them on to, uh, yeah. what's Okay, next? well, let me talk about first before somebody dies, okay, because that relates also to what we do after they die. But what's really important before somebody dies is to help their mind be in a very good state, to help them to be peaceful, in other words, um, to not have regrets near the time they die, to not hold on to anger and so on. So uh, we really encourage people during their lives uh, as much as possible, forgive the people you need to forgive, apologize to the people you need to apologize to. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed to do that because you may, may not have the mental wherewithal or the time to, to, to think about those things. And we also encourage people before they die to use uh, possessions they have to create good karma, uh, good karma being like good spiritual energy that will help somebody have a good rebirth. And one very good way to create uh, that good karma is by being generous. And so rather than cling on to our possessions with miserliness, uh, especially since after we die we can't take any of our possessions with us, it's better to be charitable and generous and give things away while we're alive. But then after somebody dies, um, what their, uh, you know, their friends and relatives may do is either take the remaining possessions of that person, give it to a charity, um, you know, a, a, a charitable organization or a hospital or, a, you know, some kind of organization that serves uh, people who are poor or sick, or to give it to a Buddhist organization, a temple to support the spiritual activities, and then to dedicate the good karma created by doing that for the person's good future rebirth. And so in addition to being charitable with their possessions or the friends and, and relatives may make donations of their, their own things, um, then we do what's called pujas, or uh, I guess in the West there would be basically spiritual services. And again, the idea is many of the pujas are like guided meditations, so they guide the mind in thinking uh, very virtuous and positive thoughts, and so of course that creates good, you know, positive potential and good spiritual energy. And then dedicating that merit uh, also, so or that good karma also, so that the person can have a good rebirth. Um, you know, so we try and, and really make the the death scene as much as possible to be very peaceful and not distracting for the person. And then afterwards we have various ceremonies like this 
the idea being to create good energy that we then de- dedicate for the welfare of the person in their next lifetime. As is there is there a time frame as far as how long it takes people to come back around, uh, you know, into their next life to be reborn into their next life, or is that? They usually say within forty nine days. Yeah, wow. that somebody is reborn, and uh, so every, you know that's seven weeks. So after each week, we usually do some more ceremonies and and so forth to create good energy for that person and we do that for the entire seven weeks after after somebody has died also i should mention that buddhism you know at least in tibetan buddhism death is not necessarily when the heart stops or the breath stops or the brain stops yeah, because we talk about there being an extremely subtle consciousness that in the case of very highly evolved uh, meditators can remain in the body for a period of time after the breath and the heart and the brain have stopped functioning um, because that person is in very deep meditative contemplation at that time. So we, you know, after somebody stops breathing, we don't usually immediately, you know, uh, take them to, you know, to dispose of the body. We try and leave the body untouched and unhandled. Um, If we can, up to three days in modern hospitals, that usually isn't allowed. So just for as long as it's possible, and then be in the room and again, say prayers, do meditations, uh, do chanting and recite religious texts and so on. Again, to to um, kind of give that person's consciousness a uh, a virtuous boost as it's leaving the body and uh, going into the next life. Now, with uh, grieving, uh, of course, with the belief that they're going to be back and re- be reborn in, in seven weeks or thereabouts, um, it probably decreases uh, the level of grief? Or I mean, you're still going to miss the physical form of the person that you, you knew. Um, the, is, the, do the meditations assist you in, in dealing with that grief? Uh, yeah, I think the, the meditations do assist you because in the meditations... Your motivation is to benefit the other person. So your attention is focused on the other person. Often when we're grieving, our attention is focused on our own loss, which, you know, if we don't know how to grieve properly, often increases the pain because we we focus on our own loss in uh, in a way that's not so productive. Yeah? Um, and I, I say this because a lot in our training as Buddhists is we, like I said, we think about impermanence, we think about death, and so if you've done that in a fairly consistent way, you know, through your life, then when somebody you you care about dies, it's not such a shock. It's like, oh, I've I've known this is coming. I've known that we're that separation is going to happen. 
And right now, the important thing is for me to be a benefit to that person. Yeah. And so it, it puts that worldly puts your attention, I think, in a good, in a good way. Because uh, often, I think, with ordinary grief is um, what we're, we're mourning, a loss, but what we're mourning is a future that won't happen. Because we're not mourning the past. That's over. The present is changing moment by moment. But we had an idea of a future that included this person, and now it's, that person's not there. They died. And so we have to get used to a change that we didn't want. And I think that's what grieving is, adapting to a change that you didn't want. Uh, and and so, you know, you, you you try and let that go. The thought that the person's going to be reborn, I don't think that necessarily lessens the grief in any way. Um, but if we if we remember when we're grieving, oh, I'm grieving a future that if that I had an idea would happen, but is now not going to happen. So I'm kind of grieving something that never existed. Yeah, it sounds yeah, right. No, and 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 I but think that also it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. and putting your energy towards that person as opposed to, I, I think a number of of people have a tendency to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I know certainly in my case, uh, when my my mother passed away, they we had to delay the her funeral just uh, a, a few days so that relatives could fly in and whatnot. Um, and it, w- what struck me was that I was already at one point, you know, in, in my process of dealing with it and grieving with it. And folks, as they were coming in the door of, of the church, it was like they were where I was, you know, a week ago. And, uh-huh. you know, and for them, it was, I actually found myself comforting them. <laughs> thinking, well, I don't know if this is the way it's supposed to work, but um, it, it just, you know, because everybody processes things differently. And, yeah. and I think that, that uh, as you had mentioned, that, that focus on not having the future that I had hoped for, I, I had envisioned because this person is not there. Um as opposed to focusing on uh, bringing the good karma and you know focusing it on on your pers- uh, love pers- loved one who has has uh, uh, no longer with us uh, is it just it does to me seem like it would be an easier uh, process as as you move through that. Uh, yeah. What about uh, is there incense or or you know is there music at at the Buddhist Buddhist funeral ceremonies or uh yeah there usually there usually is there's chanting and then according to the different buddhist tradition um most of them have bells of some sort or gongs and use incense um some of them have small drums it's yeah but there's that kind of music that accompanies the chanting yeah, and the chanting uh, can be very melodious. I mean, really, the melodies, so that the, the chanting just uplifts your heart and and puts your mind in a in a different place. Especially if you contemplate the meaning of the chants. 
and and I think that 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 would just draw you in. I'm personally uh, speaking, of course. Um, oh my gosh, I'm I'm looking at the time, and we um, are coming up against uh, the end of our time together. Venerable, I want to thank you so very, very, very much uh, for spending this time with us today. I, I truly appreciate it. I know our listeners do. Um, and to all the listeners, I want you to go to funeralfact.com and uh, take a look, uh, if you would, uh, at uh, the Shervasti Abbey website, which is linked on our, our site there under guests. Uh, it's also on the front page uh, where this episode is detailed. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful place. You can also uh, uh, take a look at um, uh, some of Venerable Chaudron's uh, books uh, that are available through her website as well. Um, and I plan to actually uh, probably order some because I, I, uh, I really do uh, I have enjoyed our time together. I've also uh, checked out some of her YouTube videos, and I think you should all do that as well. They're very uh, inspirational, very educational. Uh, and again, I want to thank you, our listeners uh, from around the world who continue to increase our ratings in both iTunes and the Google Play Music Store. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, and that way you won't miss an episode. And uh, again, go to funeralfact.com. You can just click on a link right there, and we'll get you all set up and subscribe through your favorite podcast player. Until next time, this is Jeff Casper wishing you good days and good luck. Proceeding broadcast is copyright 2017 Casper Media. All rights reserved.